You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. There's nothing like being around people in general that care, you know, almost in anything that you're doing anywhere. And uh, when you're a football coach and there's this much, it's pretty neat. You know, I mean, as a Nebraska kid, I came to a lot of spring games growing up, that kind of thing. And I kind of wondered if they if they really understood how big a deal it is here. You know, coming from different programs across the nation, I, I don't think that anybody, at least not very many people, do the spring game as big as we do. People ask me all the time, transfer, what do you want to do? And I was like, man, I didn't come here for no reason. You know, I picked here, yeah, I like the, the offense that we ran, but I picked here because of the fans that we have, with the support and background that we have here, the education that we have, and because I knew that it just felt like a good place to be, you know? And so football is one thing, but you gotta find other things in life to, you know, get you up in the morning. It's been so long since he's played much football live. I think as the game even progressed and he got to play in it, he got more comfortable right within the game. And and, uh, and then by the time he threw his touchdown pass, I thought he was seeing things real well and playing very confidently. And he has, he has a nice quick release and he's a good athlete. Those are, I think, his, two of his main attributes. And that was Nebraska head coach Mike Riley talking about Zach Darlington and his state breakout performance in the red-white spring game. Welcome to another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan here with Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus. Uh, as, as we talk about uh, the red-white spring game, guys, here 77,000, nearly 77,000 uh, were in attendance uh, for the game. And, you know, I think the weather was perfect. Everybody just wanted to get that glimpse of, of Mike Riley and what he brings to the table as a new staff. And, you know, what I almost liked about it was there were no gimmicks. There were no cats. It was just a football game. And uh, we, we really got a chance to, to see what Mike Riley uh, was all about. Yeah, they played football. And I think a lot of fans, that's all they want to see out of a spring game. You know, this is their first chance to really get a glimpse, you know, not only of new players, but uh, for a new coaching staff to kind of get a sense of, you know, what the scheme is going to be, what this team is going to look like uh, when they take the field in the fall. And, uh, uh, you know, from the coach's perspective, it was funny because, uh, you know, the 75 plus thousand people there uh, in attendance, I think, you know, is kind of the norm around here for Nebraska fans. But, uh, you know, they're coming from a staff that uh, had about 5,000 at their Oregon State spring game last year. So I think it was a nice little uh, warm up uh, to what they can expect uh, when the season rolls around in September. And I think what everybody was looking for, guys, is that quarterback race. And you heard Zach Darlington talking there and, and he brought just some fire to the game. And, you know, this is a kid that hasn't played a real football game in over two years almost with the concussion problems that he's had and in some ways I think it was emotional for him and his family uh, to see Zach out there but he finally looked like the guy that we thought he was going to look like as a recruit. Well I think coming into the spring he was kind of the forgotten man (laughs) you know there was there was a Tommy Armstrong he's the incumbent he started a ton of games you know expected to start again there's A.J. Bush who made a ton of noise in the spring you know Johnny Stanton is a former big recruit who Mike Riley recruited at Oregon State. So those were kind of the guys everybody was looking at. Well, Zach Darlington kind of snuck up over those last two weeks, that last half of spring practice. I think he really started to start playing well. And obviously he looked great in the spring game. He was uh, 7 for 11 for 70 yards and a touchdown. Just missed Jamal Turner on what potentially could have been another touchdown. I mean, you kind of have to, with any spring game performance, you have to take it with a little, little bit of a grain of salt. 
especially considering he was going against, you know, a lot of third and fourth string defenders. But at the same time, there were guys open. He hit him in stride, and he looked great. And Nate, uh, A.J. Bush, he was somebody that all of us were very high on after the first couple weeks. Uh, but you did kind of see him a little bit kind of get caught up in practices, especially that final week. You know, he, he didn't quite look as good maybe as we saw. And Darlington looked good that final practice we did watch. But what were your thoughts on A.J. Bush and, and what he showed on Saturday? Well, I, I like. I mean, I think he showed some glimpses, but uh, I think overall, what you saw out of AJ Bush was maybe a, a kid who was trying a little too hard. Maybe, uh, you know, after the first series where he missed a couple of easy passes, he came off the sidelines, and and you could see he was frustrated with himself. So I, I think maybe he was putting a little pressure on himself uh, to to perform and to really show everyone that that he belonged. And uh, but uh, you know, throughout spring practice, though, uh, he showed an awful lot, and, and he's going to be. Be in that race and um, you know going into into the fall and is going to continue to be a guy to, to push Tommy I think I, I agree with Nate I mean this is a guy that you know he's been getting talked up all spring I think you know he kind of felt that pressure a little bit this is his first real foot well it's not even a real football game but as close to a football game as he's had in a year and a half two years since playing in high school so I think that maybe got to him a little bit you got to remember he was playing that first team defense he's got Vincent Valentine and Malik Collins rushing him in the face, so you got to cut him a little slack. Um, he made some mistakes, but I thought he did some really good things too. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Excited to announce you can now listen to the HOL podcast both in Lincoln in the Fremont, Omaha area. We're on 1340 KHUB in Fremont on the AM side and 93.7 The Ticket uh, in Lincoln on the FM side. So if you want to catch us in the car on a Saturday morning, we're going to be aired on both those stations here with the podcast uh, quickly, guys, Tommy Armstrong, agree or disagree, um, it's going to be pretty hard to, to take the job away from him on week one. With what we saw on Saturday and over the course of spring, I don't think there was nearly enough separation, uh, or, or sorry, uh, push from those younger guys on Tommy uh, to really make a case for, for any of those guys to supplant him as the starter. I mean, he has that intangible that those other guys just don't have, and that's experience, you know, facing live bullets in a real game. And uh, until one of those guys makes a pretty dramatic jump uh, from where they are right now coming out of spring, I think it's pretty safe to say Tommy is the guy. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be tough uh, for one of those backups to, to really supplant him as a starter. And speaking of backups, uh, Johnny Stanton was somebody – um, that you know was on covers of magazines as ne Nebraska's Johnny Football, but uh, he came into the spring game as the fifth quarterback. It was the 16-minute mark uh, of the fourth quarter uh, when he entered the game. Somebody joked, I think Jack Hoffman got in the spring game before Johnny Stanton did uh, on Saturday. <laughs> but you know, it, you just wonder: is that the writing on the wall? Uh, is Johnny Stanton happy to be at Nebraska in this role, or you, you wonder if he's going to search for greener pastures? Well, you can't imagine that he's happy. Uh, yeah, we saw it even over the you know the last couple spring practices. It seemed like his reps were way down. Um, you know, even Zach Darlington, and AJ Bush were getting a lot more reps in him. Um, you know, the coaches they tried to downplay it after the game. They tried to say, "Hey, look, don't don't read too much into this." You know, we just had a script that we wanted to go by. But obviously, you know, if he's the fifth or sixth quarterback entering the game and he's coming in after Darlington and Bush and Riker Fife, that is not. You know, we say, are going to read into that. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that does not say good things for Johnny Stanton, who, by, from what we saw in the practices that were open to the media, did not have a great spring. And going over, guys, now to the running back position, uh, 42 carries combined for 305 yards, and that was all the running backs on both teams. Uh, but particularly, Adam Taylor had some flashes. 
Terrell Newby had some flashes. We saw Mikel Wilbon do a little bit as well. Uh, what What are your guys' thoughts? Anyone want to jump in on just kind of where things are at with the running backs? Yeah, outside of the quarterback competition, the running game was probably one of the things I was most looking forward to seeing uh, just because they limited contact so much all spring that this was the first time we were able to see, see the running game in its full action, you know, with taking to the ground, full tackling, and, uh, you know, playing th- until the whistle. So uh, that, that was good to see. And, you know, I think what we saw was a lot of what the coaches had been telling us. Uh, you know, Terrell Newby looked really good. And, I think his numbers would have been a lot more impressive had he not suffered an ankle injury that they didn't want to mess around with and basically sat him for like the middle of the second quarter on. Uh, those first two drives with that red offense, I mean, he was a big reason why they put 10 points up on two on their first two drives. And, uh, you know, Adam Taylor got the touchdown, but you could argue Terrell Newby was the guy that got him down in the field and uh, really made that go. So he looked really good, and I think that was very encouraging to see. But I still don't know if there's a clear-cut number one by any means at this point just because uh, we haven't seen enough and – uh, I think this is going to be a, a position that's handled by committee. Guys, finally here as we talk offense, uh, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with weapons. The Mornay personnel is going to get the ball in a lot of ways, and we got a glimpse of that on Saturday. 123 all-purpose yards. He had a 46-yard punt return, a 27-yard run off a fly sweep, jet sweep, call it what you want to call it, uh, and a 32-yard touchdown reception from Tommy Armstrong. Um, he is, without a doubt, I think, the, the the centerpiece guy right now maybe for this offense. Absolutely he is. You know, he could do it all. And, uh, and he's going to be a guy that they need to feature in this offense and they can get creative with and get the ball in a, in a number of, of different ways, you know, in his hands. And, um, you know, he's not he's a known commodity now. So that's going to be the big difference, I think, going into this fall is people know exactly who he is. They're going to be paying attention to where he's at at all times and, and how, you know, how he's able to, to kind of, you know, uh, take his game to the next level or, or, you know, do better than he did last year is going to be really interesting to watch talking to him after the spring game you could just hear the excitement in his voice he knows that he's going to get the ball and he's going to get it in a lot of different ways this year he's really excited about that and he thinks he's a great fit for what Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf want to do and he's yeah he's just I think he's the one guy that when this change happened people that knew Mike Riley knew that DeMornay personnel was going to benefit we come back on the Husker Online podcast we'll shift the discussion over to defense you're listening to the HOL podcast This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, well, first of all, it was just uh, a great honor and a privilege to, to meet Coach McBride. Being in the profession, uh, profession, you, you looked up to people that have had success and, you know, try to, uh, you know, you want to be, you want to be like a guy like that. I'm very confident in, in the defense. I think a lot of other people are. You know, we put in some great work. Of course, uh, during spring ball, especially with a new offense coming in, we would expect the defense to kind of set the tone during the whole spring ball, which we did, and, and I'm glad we actually did it. It would be kind of, you know, worrisome if we came out there and, and weren't able to stop them. You know, it was, uh, it was pretty good I think we got some things to work on coming this uh this summer and we'll get some other some some of the freshman guys coming in and uh, I think it'll be fun it should be a fun summer for us that was junior linebacker Michael Rose Ivy talking about the growth of the defense and before that it was defensive coordinator Mark Banker in his meeting with the former Husker legendary defensive coordinator Charlie McBride welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast Sean Callahan Robin Washett Nate Klaus Dan Hoppin let's start off with uh, the Charlie McBride slash ex-coaches factor. Um, you just get the sense um, that these ex-coaches, and Nate, I'll ask you this because you, you know these ex-coaches 
uh, probably the best of all of us uh, along with myself and uh, but McBride uh, they, they want him around and, and they're asking him for advice and they want Milt Teniper around they want George Darlington around they want Tom Osborne around uh, they're doing things I think the right way in that sense absolutely you know they the the new no, nobody wants to be compared to these guys but at the same time uh, this coaching staff is smart enough to know that hey these guys had an awful lot of uh, success at Nebraska and, and uh, it would be you know a wasted opportunity to not you know pick their brain and find out you know what it was exactly that they that worked at Nebraska when they were there and and how how they were so successful so they've opened uh, their arms to all these ex coaches and they've been at Nebraska more over the last month than than I ever. think yeah than ever uh, so I think it's exciting to see it's exciting to have you know established uh, you know coaches that have a ton of experience like Mike Riley and and Mark Banker um, you know open their arms to these guys and and you know want to learn more from these uh, you know former Huskers. Yeah, talking to Charlie uh, last week at a, a event I was at and some of the other coaches, you just get the sense. They said, these guys get it. They understand it. And, you know, they didn't, they're never going to rip the old guys. That's not their style. But just like you said, just their presence around, it's a lot more than ever before. And even with some of these older former players, not the 90s guys, but, like, I'm seeing 70s and 80s guys that I've never seen at practice before. And, and they're feeling welcomed. And I, I think that says a lot about – um, this staff. But let's shift over, guys, now to the defense. Uh, I want to start out with Josh Banderas. Um, he had 10 tackles in the red-white spring game. I think it capped off what was really what he needed, a competence-building 15 spring practices. Well, he actually had a pretty interesting revelation after the game um, in interviews. He said, you know, if the old staff were still here, he didn't know if he would still be around. You know, he, he was at least considering transferring just because he just wasn't a great fit for that system for whatever reason he couldn't um he had trouble just processing everything he was overthinking on the field and I think that kind of slowed him down and you saw him kind of struggle in some performances but Saturday showed this is a really talented guy I think he's one of those guys where you just have to kind of sick him on the ball carrier and say there's the ball go tackle it go get it and he played really well he had uh a team high, 10 tackles. He looked great. I think he's going to be you know, one of the stronger players on the defense this year. Well, and this is what we thought he was going to be like as a recruit, Nate. You know, he came in as one of the most decorated linebackers in the state since Barrett Rood. Um, and that, and that, that's some praise. I mean, people in the city of Lincoln said, you know, there hasn't been a guy like him since Barrett Rood. But physically, he's had the tools. And finally, I, I think he's turning the corner. And, and they're, they're looking for him to be a focal part of this defense. Absolutely. You know, coming into to, uh, um, you know, his career at Nebraska, we knew athletically that, that he stacked up, at, you know, with the, with some of the top linebackers in the country and that he had the ability to do it. But for whatever reason, you know, um, he just he didn't click for him at Nebraska. And you could see a guy that that had all the ability, but not a ton of confidence. And, and now you see a guy with a ton of ability that does have the confidence in what he's able to do. And he's going to be a, a presence. This is the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking defense from from Nebraska's red-white spring game and spring football overall. And it's hard, Robin, to, to take a lot out of that game um, in some ways because there was no blitzing. It was very vanilla. 
because you know BYU is going to watch this and slice and dice it up, and they don't want to tip their hand too much for the season opener. Yeah, it was extremely vanilla on both sides of the ball. You know, not only did the the offense, you know, really keep it extremely simple. You know, I think we only even saw a handful of jet sweeps all game, but uh, the defense, like you mentioned, you know, really didn't mix up coverages, didn't throw any crazy blitzes, and I think that that was that was good, just because you want to see on the film from this just kind of one on one execution, and I think that that for, for especially on the lines, the defensive line and offensive line, uh, this is probably the best look that these coaches will get. Uh, just in, in terms of guys, you know, handling, uh, especially the interior line, you know, some of these younger guards and centers going up against Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine and be able to block one on one. And I think they held their own. So it, it is what it is. You take it from, from what you can. But uh, certainly there should be a lot more added to this defense uh, once the season rolls around. And one guy we didn't get to see on Saturday was junior all Big Ten safety Nathan Gary. Uh, who suffered a minor knee injury. It, it's nothing major. Um, he should be back in the game. Now, Banderas did wear Nathan Gary's number 25 jersey. They're good friends. I know they've, I believe they've roomed together at one point in their careers. Um, so Banderas did have that 25 on. So you might have got confused if you were watching. But Nathan Gary, uh, not having him out there, Dan, um, you know, ho- hopefully he'll be back. He should be back to go by fall camp. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a no worries type of situation. I mean, the coaches, they don't need to see Nathan Gary out there. They know what kind of player he is. They saw it during the spring. They saw it on film. This is a guy who I think could take a leap and potentially be a, a first-team All-Big Ten performer this year. He's obviously he's got some great instincts. He's a great tackler. Very, very underrated athlete, I think. Got to cut down on some of the mistakes. You saw him you know, make a couple of mental errors that led to some big plays last year, but I think in his junior season he'll be able to do that and he could potentially be a all-league performer. You know, one of those secondary guys that, that continued to shine and make plays was Trey Mosley. On Saturday he had another interception. We saw him pick off Tommy Armstrong three times in one practice. Um, he's kind of a sleeper guy. It's hard, though, for me to peg where he fits in because there's just so much competition back there in the secondary. Well, if he keeps making plays like he has been on a daily basis all spring, they're going to have no choice but to play him. Uh, the guy, you know, we've talked about how he doesn't fit the exact mold of cornerback, you know, the long lean uh, criteria, but uh, the guy just has a nose for the ball. And it seems like every time he's out there, he's wreaking havoc for the, for the passing game. And uh, if he keeps making plays like he did on Saturday, I mean, he's going to get his, his spot in the rotation. Now, Nate, there was one comment Mark Banker made to me after the game that was very interesting about recruiting he said that they will be out on the road looking for some 2015 not 16 2015 defensive player help whether that's at safety whether that's at corner we're always in the market for a linebacker what do you make of that I mean there's still three over we know there's going to be some attrition um, but what do you make of that comment that they're still trying to, to maybe find some late junior college help it tells me that they, they weren't 100% satisfied with what they saw necessarily out of the spring, and they still have some question marks. And so uh, they're looking at this you know uh, point in time as kind of a, a free agency period maybe to, to test the waters and see if there is a guy out there that, that they could bring in and that would make them better and add more depth. And, and I think that's smart to do. I think you always have to be thinking ahead and, and looking for, for a way to make your team better. And, uh, and if they're able to, to go ahead and, and find a late guy that that could make a difference in Nebraska they're going to do it yeah it reminds you last year of Kyron Williams they got him now I'll give an even worse example back in 2004 uh shame I'm going to say it Nate uh, Seamus McCoy and our good buddy Marquis McCray they were late edition it Jukos. didn't necessarily work out but <laughs> I still remember Marquis McCray's film though you would have thought it was Johnny Rogers on film and 
I've been in the Bay Area a few times, and what, what was that town that he, the junior college he played? San Mateo. Yep. And I, every time I drove by the San Mateo exit, leaving the airport in San Jose, I just said, oh, there's my honorary uh, tribute to Marquis McRae <laughs> as we talk about some junior college bust at Nebraska. But Mark Banker, Nate, did visit this week. We know Hutchinson, Fort Scott, um, and then El Dorado Butler. Uh, so they're, they're, they are looking not only for 16 guys, but if they can find one or maybe two late 15 Juco, Juco defensive players, uh, they're going to take them. Yeah, the key is finding the right guy, you know, not, not just taking a, uh, um, you know, a flyer on, on somebody who could work, but finding the right guy and making the numbers work, and uh, whether it be for this 15 class or 16 class. When we come back here on the program, Taron Petaway announces he is leaving Nebraska. The Huskers also signed a couple more players in their 2015 class. We'll break down all that next with Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Back here on the HOL podcast, and Nebraska finally got the final piece of the roster attrition we've been waiting on. Junior Teron Petaway announces he is declaring for the NBA draft this coming a week after his mother passed away. It was released by the university in a statement, and head coach Tim Miles on Thursday bringing in Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen, our two basketball experts here for Husker Online. Robin, first of all, no surprise, obviously, uh, the news on Petaway declaring for the NBA? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, this is something that, you know, I had a feeling was going to happen, you know, even before the season ended. And then especially when that announcement uh, was temporarily scheduled uh, for, for last week, you know, I think that most people assume that that was going to be, you know, him declaring. And uh, the, obviously the passing of his mother delayed that a few days, but uh, still the same result. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that I keep telling people that it has way more to do uh, with just basketball. You know, I mean, this is something that personally uh, he thought was the best decision, you know, not only for him, but for his family family, um, you know, and uh, I think that he's gotten plenty of advice from a lot of different people uh, and uh, kind of weighed all of his options. And, you know, while he did have a lot of incentive to come back to Nebraska, uh, he obviously felt that uh, maybe a clean slate somewhere else to, to get a fresh start and to pursue a professional career was the right way to go. Dan, what will you remember Petaway when you look at his career and what he accomplished here? Uh, what are some of the, the moments that you and your dad have talked about? Well, I think, number one, you have to remember that he was the key piece on that team last year. Um, you know, especially that Wisconsin game, you know, just coming down, making a couple of those heat check threes on no sit Sunday. I think that's going to be the thing that um, that I'll remember most about Petaway. And, and I hope that that is how people remember him. I hope they don't remember, you know, when they first think of him, they don't think of this past season, which was such a disappointment. And a lot of that got lumped on Petaway's shoulders, which I would argue is incorrect. But every interaction I had with him, he was very friendly. Um, he was, you know, obviously a good player, a good person. I saw him interact with a lot of fans after games, even after losses, uh, you know, signing autographs for kids, staying extra time and everything. So that's kind of how I'll remember him. And obviously he did a lot of good things for this program. So let's, let's go through the attrition, Robin, uh, here, what Nebraska has lost. Walter Pitchford, Teron Petaway, Taron Smith, three you know, at the time, uh, six months ago, we're not expecting any of these guys to go. Uh, and they're, they're going to bring in at least five right now in the 2015, and they could bring in a couple transfers or even more late guys after that. Yeah, okay, so they got 
six, no, yeah, six freshmen now or five? I think it's five. Okay, you got Morrow, Watson, uh, Jacobson, McVeigh, and uh, Evelyn. So there's five freshmen plus well, Andrew so White. Andrew White, yeah. And uh, they got still two open spots left. So this could be a, a massive turnover uh, as when you take into account not only uh, Pitchford, Terrence Smith, and uh, Petaway, but also Leslie Smith, Moses Abraham, and David Rivers. So, I mean, they're losing a huge core of what we saw last season. But uh, at the same time, that was a core of a 13-win team. So it might not be the end of the world that uh, you're, they're kind of uh, wiping the slate clean on this. So it, it's certainly going to be a task uh, to fill you know these two remaining spots they were able to kind of get an under the radar guy and Bakari Evelyn the point guard from Arizona uh, really uh, kind of came out of nowhere uh, they scheduled a visit and two days later he's committed so uh, certainly a guy that, uh, that the coaching staff feels can make an impact I think that they're looking at him as potentially a, a Taron Smith replacement um, he's probably not as athletic as Taron was, but I think his scoring ability might be a little bit better, especially with his perimeter shooting. So uh, I, I don't think there's going to be much drop off there, um, you know, despite how well Taron played at the end of the year. But the key is trying to find some more post presence. Uh, the, the, obviously, the spring uh, signing period started on the 15th. And so uh, getting a high school kid is pretty much out of the question at this point, unless they get a completely under the radar guy. Academic uh, guy that might yeah, qualify late or something. Yeah. And so what they're probably going to do is get a, a graduate transfer of some sort. And, you know, the, the transfer list at this point is pushing 500 names already, uh, and there's going to be more to come. And so they have all summer to try and find a guy that uh, can, can fill that role. And uh, I'm not too worried about them doing that. It's just a matter of finding the right fit. And then uh, I could also see them, now that Petaway scholarship is open, uh, taking a traditional transfer. You know, a guy that has to sit out a year and uh, will be eligible in 2016-17 just because they kind of have that luxury right now. That transfer deal, though, it's kind of a drug that once you get on it, it's hard to get off it. And you hope long term, I'm sure Tim Miles would love to, to be in a position where they're not doing this every year. But oh, yeah. uh, when your numbers are what they are, you can't take seven freshmen. You, you have to right. balance it up more and um, and go with a, a balance of older guys and younger guys. Yeah, and you know that sometimes it, they can be good because, you, like you said, you are balancing out the classes a little bit. You don't want to make uh, this entire uh, class freshmen because then that kind of hinders your recruiting for the next four years. Uh, so it, it, it's hard because it's a fine line because on one end you have an Iowa State who's made your bread and butter off transfers and is a national power, uh, but also you don't want to fall into the same hole where you're constantly resetting your roster every single season and just trying to find Band-Aids to, to fill for a season. Now, Robin, it, it seems like both you know in the NBA and in college right now, it seems like post-play is you know not nearly as important as it has been in last year's. A lot more teams are going small, you know, sometimes with – three, maybe even four guards on the floor at a time spacing the floor. Obviously, Nebraska wants to find one or two big guys if they can, but it's not necessarily – a, a, you know, like a, a season killer if they don't, right? Yeah, I, I you know, a lot of people make the argument, well, look at the Final Four. Every one of those teams had a dominant big man. Well, those are a few, a, a small, small percentage of teams that actually had legitimate NBA big men. That's why they were there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, you know, those are the blue bloods of college basketball. So uh, Nebraska, unfortunately, is not in that position right now where they can land guys like that. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a fact. I mean, to, to get a Jalil Okafor is not going to happen until they've put together some, some previous success 
So you work with what you have. And I think Tim Miles' offense, you know, when he actually runs what he wants to run, uh, you know, last season is kind of a bad example. I don't think he ever really had a chance to, to do his system. Uh, but when that's in place, it really lends itself to capitalizing on those versatile guys that can do a little bit of everything. And you look at the guys they have coming in, they all fit that mold. You know, you have a whole bunch of six, 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 eight, uh, you know, wing guy type guys. guys. Yeah, that, that can do everything. They can bang down low, but they can also, you know, score from uh, the perimeter. They can drive. They can play defense. And so they're, they're versatile pieces that, you know, might not be, you know, fit the perfect mold of a one through five that a lot of people think you have to have. Uh, I think you can more than get by with having a bunch of guys that can do a little bit of everything uh, like they have coming in. Quickly, Robin, we, we didn't mention Jack McVeigh. He signed as well. Just um your, your thoughts in 10, 15, 20 seconds on him, what, kind of what he brings to the yes. table. Yes, six eight score, uh, that, that's what he's going to do. Uh, he's kind of a little lanky, a little skinny, but uh, he's been working out all summer and will continue to uh, in the weight room. Uh, he, he actually has already graduated high school, so he's been dedicating himself to training, and he's a guy that's going to bring offense to the table right away. The waiver wire in college basketball continues to move. I'm sure each week we'll have more storylines with Robin and Dan here. When we come back on the HLL podcast, we'll talk about the Husker baseball team as they get ready for a big weekend series against Ohio State. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Husker baseball team had a solid week of winning baseball as they won both against UNO and Creighton coming off two out of three over Minnesota, but still not the type of baseball Nebraska needs to play if they want to get into a regional and have success. We bring in Dan Hoppen back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Dan's been busy at the ballpark, 8-6 uh, win last night on Wednesday over UNO, and then uh, obviously a, a, another great win over Creighton. Yeah, but, you know, you look at each of those games and they were just – that crispness wasn't there. In each game, Nebraska was able to kind of uh, build a nice dominant lead early on. It looked like they were going to cruise to an easy victory. And then just a series of just weird mental mistakes. I mean, Nebraska has been such a good defensive team for not only this most of this season, but most of Darren Erstad's career as head coach. They made three errors in each of the last two games. Um They've been running into a ton of outs on the bases um, all season long. They got thrown out twice at home last night, you know, in a close game. That's That kind of stuff is huge. Um, and I know, you know, Darren Erstad talked about it last night. Those are things that you really have to clean up, especially going into these next two weekends. You're playing Ohio State and Iowa. Nebraska 28-11, and 11, ranked number 23 in the D1.com baseball poll. They're number 21 in the RPI. And you look at the Big Ten right now, and uh, just RPIs and ranking-wise, this is the best we've seen this league look in a long time. Iowa is number 19 in the RPI. Maryland, number 24. They have a big series this weekend with Cal State Fullerton. You've got Illinois at 27 and Ohio State coming in at number 29. Right now, today, the top eight in the Big Ten are ranked in the top 72, uh, which when you talk about that tournament in Minneapolis, it's going to be a great field. And this weekend, Dan, uh, with Ohio State coming in, uh, they're 24-9, 7-2 in the league. Uh, this is one of the bigger series Nebraska is going to have all year. Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, you kind of look at Ohio State's uh, conference resume. It's not the strongest strongest so far they've, they've kind of been able to um, beat some of the lesser teams in the conference that Purdue's the Northwesterns teams like that but this is a team that played very well in the non-conference uh, they just actually beat Louisville um, earlier this week so they're good they're going to come in and they're going to give Nebraska everything Nebraska can handle and we saw you know a couple weekends ago Nebraska wasn't really ready to play 
um, that series against Maryland, they got swept. Now this series is at home, so that's a little bit different. But you got to come ready to play these series, or you know you can get taken to, ta- to task a little bit. In the history of these two teams, they've played a lot of good games. You go back to last year in Omaha, the the big comeback in the Big Ten tournament where Nebraska was able to pull it out. Uh, I go back to a couple years ago. Was it Ty Kildow came in the game and stole two bases, then he scored the winning run, um, and they got that Saturday win when uh, you know they weren't playing really that well. But it, Nebraska and Ohio State have really dueled it out the last couple of years. Well, just last year they had three fantastic games in a series in Lincoln. Um, where you, you go back and you look at there was just ter- terrific uh, pitching performances on both sides. Nebraska won on a couple walk-offs. There was a couple complete games. Yeah, these two teams have a little bit of a history. And, uh, you know, there aren't really a ton of great Big Ten baseball rivalries because there hasn't been a lot of great Big Ten baseball, but this could be the start of something. And the Huskers are 5-1 and one since that uh, sweep out at Maryland when they were swept by the Terrapins in College Park. But as we've talked about earlier, Dan, it's a sloppy 5-1, and one, and that's just kind of, I think, where the program is right now. The expectations have grown. It almost feels like it's the mid-2000s again where, uh, yeah, you're happy they're winning, but it's it's not – everyone is looking bigger picture right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two years ago, if Nebraska had a 5-1 and one week, no Nobody would have complained about anything. They wouldn't have been bringing up airs or saying, oh, Minnesota's not any good or anything like that. It would have been, oh, yeah, they went 5-1. and one. That's great. And I think that that's a good thing, that people care about the quality of play now, and they look at it and say, okay, maybe you're winning, but you know, are these wins going you – know, is this effort going to translate into wins against better teams? I think that's an important step for the program that they've taken where you, know, you don't just take a win and say, hey, that's great, and move on. You say, we, we've got to improve on this effort if we want to continue doing this. You're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan and Dan Hoppin, we are talking Big Red Baseball, the Huskers' home this weekend with Ohio State and a crucial uh, Big Ten series and really even has some NCAA implications uh, as far as seedings and placements go for both these teams as both Nebraska and Ohio State look like they are NCAA tournament teams here as we look at them in uh, mid to late April. Friday's game, 6.35 p.m. Saturday's game will be at 2.05 with television on NET, and then Sunday will be a, a 1.05 p.m. game. Dan, when, when you look at Nebraska's pitching, uh, particularly the Friday-Saturday guys, Sinclair and Kubat, uh, they've, they've been a little rusty the last few weeks. What has slowed those guys down since the big weekend over Texas? Well, I think with Chance Sinclair, that's a guy who he he's a guy who in a lot of his outings he just kind of looks um a little out of sorts at the beginning and he kind of works himself into the game as he goes you see him really getting his strongest in the third fourth fifth sixth innings that's kind of that's been his story all year long for whatever reason and I think Darren Nurse has okay with it with Kubat I mean he's he was lights out in his first six or seven starts and in his last two he's been really off and uh and Darren said that his velocity on his fastball is a little bit down um, they're you know trying to figure out what's going on with him, but obviously he's a guy who's incredibly important to this weekend rotation. If he's not on his best, that totally changes the tra- trajectory of where this team can go and what this team's ceiling is. They really need him to rediscover that form he had earlier in the season if they want to, uh, you know, be a serious threat in the postseason. Huskers are home this weekend with Ohio State. And if you want to get out and see this Husker baseball team play, you don't have a lot of chances left. Nebraska uh, will be on the road really for the rest of the season. They had just one more Big Ten series at home with Purdue than a midweek game with um, Kansas State, Dan. So if you want to get out and see this team, uh, your, your chances are pretty limited. 
Yeah, and that Kansas State game is next Tuesday. So, I mean, over the final about month of the season, final three weeks of the season, they only have that one home series against Purdue. And it's really so odd how this season broke up. I mean, you see it with so many northern or midwestern teams. Because of the cold weather, they have to go out west or down south usually at the start of the season. So you've got a lot of road games. So Nebraska's, the way that their schedule's broken up, they had a huge chunk of road games at the beginning of the season. Then 16 home games in 20 days, so a huge chunk of home games in the middle of the season. Now they're kind of going on the road again at the end. It's just kind of funny how that, that whole scheduling has worked. But Nebraska, they've got a losing uh, record away from Haymarket Park this year. That's something where if they want to make some noise in the postseason, they're going to have to straighten that out and learn how to win away from home. Should be a great weekend of baseball when we come back here on the HOL podcast. We'll bring back Nate Klaus, and we'll talk about the big recruiting weekend that was with the Red-White Spring Game. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the HuskerOnline.com podcast, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we talk recruiting to close things off. And Nebraska had really, Nate, as many visitors as we've seen for a spring game in a long time. And you've been a part of almost all of the spring game weekend since it became what it's become in 2004. How did this weekend, first of all, rank in your eyes as, as far as overall talent top to bottom? Yeah, the spring game has turned into a huge recruiting weekend uh, starting in 2004. And I'd say that this weekend was right up there with, you know, some of the best weekends uh, in terms of, you know, overall number of visitors and quality of visitors that, that we've seen in quite a while. Yeah, you had a lot of guys making repeat visits, which is always good to see. But I want to I start first on the in-state NADA. And this is a story that you broke on Husker Online this week regarding Lincoln Christian and Nebraska tight end commit Jared Bubak, who most consider the number one or number two player in Nebraska. And he's been a commit since Bo Pelini was the coach, but he kind of dropped a bombshell on you this past week um, that he is 50-50 between Nebraska and Arizona State, but he still wants to be considered a Nebraska commit. Yeah, Bubak, the first commit in this class, uh, you know, recently took a visit to Arizona State, and uh, it was kind of an under-the-radar visit, um, but I knew he was out there um, after after asking him about the spring game and everything and, and him talking about how much he enjoyed it. I said, hey, you know, tell me about that visit to Arizona State, and he said, well, to be honest with you, I really liked it, and uh, there was a, there's a number of things that I, that I like about Arizona State. And, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm kind of 50-50. You know, I'm, he, he said he's still committed to Nebraska, was actually doing a little recruiting for Nebraska even. But, but he did say, hey, I'm keeping my options open at this point in time, and, and I'm 50-50. And, you know, uh, uh, Todd Graham and, and uh, you know, Chip Long down there. Have Don't really, get our buddy Tim Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, and Tim Cassidy's down there too. You know, they – they are uh, really in Jared Bubak's ear right now. And, and to be honest with you, um, Arizona State's been a program that has been re recruiting pretty much every single Nebraska recruit. You know, we see Nebraska offer a player, and all of a sudden Arizona State has come in too. So this doesn't come as a huge surprise. Yeah, that linebacker from Colorado was it JoJo. Uh, JoJo Doman. Uh, he, they offered him, and Arizona State offered Literally him. hours after Nebraska offered, they offered him, yeah. So that one will be one to watch with Jared Bubak. And another one we're keeping our eyes on, an in-state player, is Omaha South's Noah Fant. You know, he's a guy that has blown up in recruiting ever since Nebraska 
Nebraska and Wyoming made those offers. Iowa, Iowa State, Vanderbilt has recently come in. And, Nate, he's somebody that we thought could commit by the weekend. Uh, but it looks like this one might go deeper into May or maybe even June right now. Yeah, heading into the spring game, you know, if there was one player that you thought, you know, could possibly pull the trigger, it was going to be Noah Fant. But, and he told me after the game, you know, there was times where he definitely thought about, you know, uh, committing to Nebraska, especially during his – uh, one-on-one meeting with Mike Riley and, and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Mike Riley pretty much told him, hey, you know, we want you really bad. Um, you know, we want you to make the right decision, but uh, we want you to make that right decision for Nebraska sooner than later. So he said that he was thinking about it. Uh, however, he has just recently set up a visit to Vanderbilt. I know that he is looking to get into medicine after college, uh, wanting to get into He's med a good school. student. He's a very good student, and uh, he's wanting to, to pursue medicine uh, after – you know, after his four-year degree. So I think that's why Vanderbilt is is a little bit of intriguing to him. And he'll be taking that visit out there May 9th and, and will most likely be making a decision shortly thereafter. You're listening to the HOL podcast, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. We're putting a bow here on the uh, recruiting weekend for Nebraska in the red-white spring game as several different visitors were in town. And they've hammered Nate on the 500-mile radius. And I think Saturday was the one of the first times we've really seen – it come into play as much as they want it to. And we'll start down in Kansas. The top two players in Kansas, both defensive ends, and these are premium positions in recruiting, and these are premium-level players, high-level players. Amani Bledsoe and Xavier Kelly both made it here, and these are priority guys right now for Nebraska. Huge priorities for Nebraska. They represent a position of need at defensive end. They're high-caliber athletes, high-caliber uh, recruits, and they're right in Nebraska's b- backyard, basically. So these are guys that Nebraska really needs to sign and really wants to sign. So having them on campus again uh, is, is huge for the Huskers, and, and especially when you look at the, the offers and the options that these guys have. Uh, you know, since visiting, uh, Xavier Kelly's picked up offers from Iowa, Tennessee, Texas A&M, to already go along with his, his offers from Alabama and Notre Dame and, and USC and, and all these programs. I mean, he's blowing up to be a legitimate national recruit. Uh, and he said after the game, you know, absolutely loved his visit, loved spending more time with Mike Riley, is planning on coming back to Big Red Weekend, which will make it three times that he's been uh, on campus since uh, the Purdue game last fall, which is which is huge for Nebraska's chances there. And then Amani Bledsoe, uh, you know, is a guy who – who has an awful lot of offers, but is kind of he, he kind of went off the grid a little bit. He 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 flat out told me that the recruiting process has kind of become a little overwhelming to him. He doesn't say a whole lot. You know, when you talk to him, he doesn't like to show his cards, uh, really re- reveal what he's truly thinking. Uh, however, you know, the fact that he came up to Nebraska again, um, enjoyed the time up here. I think that the, I think it's safe to say Nebraska is in the running. However, I do feel like uh, UCLA is probably the team to beat with him right now. If they could just get one of these two uh, star defensive ends and Bledsoe is from Lawrence, right? Bled, Bledsoe is from, from Lawrence and uh, Kelly's from Wichita. Wichita. So you're talking about three-hour and four-hour drives from Lincoln. And another 500-mile radius player, Nate, that received an offer was tight end Jake Stoll out of Colorado. Yeah, Jack Stoll uh, is a is a very you know athletic kid and and really an under the radar recruit until recently. You know when he picked up an offer from Texas. 
uh, you know, going into, um, you know, the, the spring game weekend, he, he said that he was really, really wanting to pick up an offer from Nebraska. That happened. Uh, he was extremely excited about it. Uh, it. And more than anything, he was just blown away by the atmosphere, as, as all the recruits were, you know, to, to come into Memorial Stadium for basically what is the, the last practice of spring and to see close to 77,000 people there uh, just absolutely blew him and his dad away. Uh, they loved meeting the, the coaching staffs and everything. So, um, you know, he, he's a player that you need to keep a close eye on because they really like him and they're going to be making a strong push to, to, you know, secure his commitment. Continuing our recruiting discussion here with Nate Klaus, uh, junior college recruiting was also a big um, storyline on Saturday at the Red-White game. You don't typically get four high-caliber Juco guys at a home game, let alone a spring game, when you look at who was here. A linebacker, Chris Bacchus, out of Oklahoma, who's a big priority for Nebraska. Defensive back, uh, Maurice Chandler, also out of the Oklahoma Juco's. And then you had uh, Quinn um, Mettermeyer, who's a qualifier, a junior college offensive tackle at Butler, big-time guy. I think he might be one of the top two or three tackles in the nation in the JUCO ranks, Nate. And then Taj Williams, who is one of the top maybe five overall, top ten overall JUCO players right now, all were in Lincoln. Uh, quickly, as, as you talk about that group of four players, what stood out? Well, there's something that you never see, first and foremost. Like you mentioned, you know, to, to have that many high-caliber guys, JUCO guys on campus for a spring game is extremely rare, something I've never really seen. Uh, Chris Backus and Maurice Chandler, you know, uh, Backus is a linebacker, uh, and they obviously need depth at that position. Uh, and, and what's interesting about these two players is they come from uh, NEO Junior College down in Oklahoma, and the head coach there is Ryan Held, who is a former Husker walk-on, won a couple of national championships at Nebraska, uh, while uh, while playing there, so he has an affinity for the Huskers, uh, and he's visited uh, Nebraska. And now he's having his players visit Nebraska, which is I th I think is is huge. Nebraska's you know developing a, a nice relationship there. And he and Held told me you know if he he's not going to tell his players where to go, but he's gonna he's gonna uh, make sure that they know all about Nebraska, uh, which is something that you want to see if you're a Husker fan. And you mentioned Quinn Mittermeier, you know the offensive tackle out of Butler County. Love that guy. Yeah, I mean, he was a monster. Out of everyone that was on campus this weekend, which was a huge group, he definitely stood out of the pack. He was a legitimate 6'6", you know, 305-pound uh, offensive tackle. You watch his film. He plays left tackle for Butler. He could play either side, I think. I think he's athletic enough to, to play left or right tackle. And he was a qualifier out of high school. He is going to blow up. Yeah, he's going to become a, a hot commodity now that the evaluation period has started and, and coaches are going through the schools and seeing seeing him in person, watching his film. He's going to pick up a ton of offers, and he's going to have a hard decision on his hands, you know, if he's going to commit, enroll somewhere for this fall and be on campus in this fall or decide to, to continue to go through the recruiting process, play his final season at Butler and be your traditional three-for-two, uh, you know, JUCO mid-year enrollee. And, of course, Taj Williams out of Iowa Western. Taj is, is probably the, the absolute, you know, number one wide receiver without a doubt and probably Probably the, one of the top overall prospects in the JUCO ranks. Uh, it was very nice to get him on campus, and he said that he will be taking a return visit to Lincoln here shortly. Another speaking of return visits, Keyshawn Johnson Sr. was here with his son Keyshawn Jr. They also brought five-star 2017 defensive back Darnay Holmes, and that was a return visit 
uh, Nate. So f- promising sign that both these guys came back again after really being in Lincoln just a month ago. Yeah, all three of them were in Lincoln a month ago. Uh, they come back for the spring game. They want to get a little taste for the atmosphere, uh, spend more time with the coaches. Uh, again, they love their visit, and the coaches really hit home the fact that they could become trendsetters of you know top talent from California coming out to Nebraska, and they're kind of buying into that right now. And both guys were planning to come back for the Michigan State game, so you're talking about being on campus three times in, in about six months. And that wraps it up here for another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 